0: Welcome to Luxuries for Your Soul with Alexis Kletchian and Lauren Golt. Every episode is a look at life through the lens of luxury, whether it's the dismantling of belief systems, pursuing our passions, or standing in our truth. We approach each conversation with genuine curiosity of what it means to have a well-lived life. Today, we are joined by makeup artist, skincare expert, and boutique owner, Lizzie Johnson, to talk about a world synonymous with luxury, the beauty industry. We break down some beauty buzzwords, discuss how makeup can help boost confidence, and ask Lizzie to share stories from her 20 years in the business, and so much more. Because this episode is a bit longer, we have conversation timelines in the show notes below. Onto the conversation.
1: So when you started at WhoPet, what was your skin like? You a teenager that was suffering from acne or, or are you one of those like five of those people
2: out there that were lucky enough to have perfect skin? I was not that perfect skin person. No, zero. The reason I really started playing with makeup was... earlier than when I got my part-time job, I started to break out. I have, you know, now I have like normal combination skin, but I was an oily.
0: No, you have beautiful, (laughs) flawless skin. The listeners can't see Mm -hmm. that, but it is true. Thank
2: she has you. Gorgeous <laughs> skin. Porcelain, like a doll. That's very kind. It's been a little bit of a journey. Um, but thank you very much. This is but part of the reason I like the industry is that we can play with products and maybe get where we want to go at some point, whatever that may be. But no, eyebrows breaking out and obviously very self conscious about it. It's hard enough being a. Uh, you know, girl in middle school, and then you're a girl in middle school who starts breaking out. And I discovered very quickly that the right shade of foundation and concealer, which I did not get, first of all, would really help me out. Yeah. So like most people, I started with the wrong shade and there are thankfully only hard copy evidence and photos of those things since social media was not yet a thing. So those will... We'll let those die. When you say wrong shade, (laughs) are we talking about those moments where
1: your face is one color and your neck is another? Because that definitely happened to me.
2: Yes, we are. Mm. That is a hundred percent it. Yep. And you didn't have a beauty blender back then, right? No beauty blender. No um did not know what to do. Basically took my hands and started patting on makeup until you couldn't see anything anymore. And that was it. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) But but instead of the sort of cliche bad where, you know, a lot of my friends in the same age group went a little bit too orange or too dark. I erred on the side of too white, which by the way, equally problematic. Mm-hmm. Not good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I knew
0: a girl in high school that used to put baby powder on her face and she had very beautiful complexion. We're all like, she's gorgeous. We're trying it too. Suckers we are, but... <laughs> <laughs>
1: I would imagine that to be That's incredibly a, yeah. drying on the skin and clogging your pores. Yeah,
2: but do you yeah. remember that like matte was a thing? Like the glow was not mm-hmm. trendy. You just wanted to be basically dead on the surface. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> to this day I have a hard time with the glowy look because to me I equate that with oily skin and so I'm always trying to
0: matt mm-hmm. it down. Mhm. What do they call that? the donut glaze,
1: right?
2: Yeah, donut <laughs> glaze big trend. Yes. Right. So last All year right. was glass skin, this year is donut glaze. It's okay. pretty much the same thing. I was just going to ask you, how do you achieve that? <laughs> yeah, right? Okay, so if you want to achieve that, that's a a boatload of products. It starts with a very aggressive exfoliation. Lots of moisturizers, something with a hyaluronic acid, and then probably a primer, a BB creamer foundation, and perhaps a powder with that glow added. So like layers of glowing products. Wow. I go to bed like that. (laughs) On your back, full makeup, full face of makeup, just like... (laughs) All all the creams. My husband's like...
0: He gets really close to my face. He's like, is that you that smells like that? (laughs) (laughs) Just roll roll over. (laughs) So I have a question. Lizzie, I bet you never go to bed with your makeup on, right? I
2: can actually count the number of times in my life that I've gone to bed with makeup on my face. Most of them (laughs) undergrad.
0: And can we talk about that and how bad that is for the
2: skin? Yeah, absolutely. The problem really is that... And the makeup has come a long way, by the way. There are a lot of great products out there now that are actually good for the skin while you wear them. So that's a big improvement. However, whenever you're adding pigment to a product like a foundation, there's going to be an element of occluding the skin. You cannot help that. You're basically cutting off airflow, which sounds overly dramatic, but it, it is, but it's just... You're not letting that skin breathe the way that it's meant to, because obviously the skin is an organ, it's living, it needs to breathe. And when you go to bed with makeup on, you are not allowing for that to happen for a very extended period of time. And we know that when we go to bed, when we're asleep, our skin is in repair mode, sort of when you power down the rest of your system, your other parts of your body have an opportunity to go into restorative or healing mode. and your skin is not an exception. And when you don't have the, bit like when your skin is occluded with makeup or you haven't used a moisturizing product or what have you in the evening, you will, you know, you're losing an opportunity at the very least. And at the worst, you are compromising the health of your skin.
1: Lauren, do you sleep with your makeup on? No, even in undergrad, I want to say there were maybe two drunken nights that I remember forgetting and waking up in the middle of the night and washing my face. Yeah, I don't either. When you
0: wake up, when you sleep, and you have mascara and you have the raccoon eyes, that is the worst. It's a terrible
1: look. It's the worst. Yeah, it is terrible look. Yeah, no one can pull that off. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, no,
2: that is not like a a sexy bedroom eyes situation. That is very much. I don't know. (laughs) Feels like walk of shame. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) You know.
1: (laughs) What were you doing last night?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And are we even allowed to say that anymore? I feel like even that thought process reveals my age and generation. <laughs> I think it's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah I you. think it's fine too.
1: <laughs> so, going back to, so you start at a makeup, working at a makeup
2: store and you're what, 16? Yeah. I basically got a job and turned 16 a couple months later.
1: Who were the beauty icons for you or were the big. Pop culture stars, or who were you looking at for sort of makeup inspiration at that time?
2: So, I it was 2001, just to ground us in a year. Mm-hmm. And that really, I would say at the time, Jennifer Lopez was majorly on my radar, newly christened JLo. And right, right. Yeah, that was and that was a major. And I feel mm-hmm. like this was interesting. I was thinking about this prior to our discussion. That I feel was like a major paradigm shift in our industry. Because I cannot recall, maybe, and I don't know, maybe someone else can, but I cannot recall prior to that a such a shift in the standard becoming so different. It was not that you know overnight. It seemed like it wasn't totally just one way, blonde, blue eyes. Now there was this gorgeous, beautiful other way to be, and J Lo embodied that in a lot of ways. And again, maybe that's I don't know, Lauren. We were basically the same year, if you have the same sort of read on culture. No, she's
1: one of the first people that I remember, at least from, you know, generation, I'm not talking like old old Hollywood or anything, but who actually had figure curves. Yeah. She wasn't trying to, I don't want to say, you know, Britney Spears is out at the same time and whom I loved, but they were trying to sort of make her look you know, the girl next door and young and, I don't know, Jenny from the block, Jennifer Lopez was just looked like, this is my body. This is what I like. This is my style. And it just, yeah. And she always, and still always seems so confident.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think that confidence was a major, like a major piece of it and really cool. And I think really cool when, you know, you're a teenager looking up to all these other people. She seemed to stand in her power. I remember feeling that about her and I really appreciated that. So her, obviously, yes, I do remember. I had that Britney Spears album, Mm -hmm. the first one. Oh yeah. And I remember trying to imitate her makeup because she had, I don't know if it was airbrushed. I have no idea, but that album cover, her skin is like velvet. She looks perfect. Mm -hmm. So that was a thing. She was a baby. She was. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) She was a baby, so she had velvet skin. That's probably (laughs) exactly the way it was. And pigtails in that one video. Yeah. We could dive into a whole moment on what they were trying to do with that, Mm -hmm. but we don't have to if you don't want to. (laughs) 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 And I've always liked... So uh, the other thing, Lauren, when you said silver screen, I've always loved old movies, like from the 40s. And my mom was a major Turner classic fan. I mean, she still is, but she really was when I was growing up. So I really, I remember seeing that sort of classic 1940s, 1950s look and loving that too. Just, it was completely different. The early 2000s were a fraught time.
1: Yes. That is when track suits with words on the butt came out and very low rise jeans, two trends I am not participating in again.
0: You mean came back. I'm older than you guys that came back. (laughs) It's interesting to hear you guys talk about that because I had the icons, the original supermodels Mm. when I, Naomi
2: Campbell, Cindy Crawford, Claudia Schiffer. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, my business partner and I were talking about that last week and we pulled up that music video, George Mm -hmm. Michael. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. First of all, great song mm-hmm. and great, great video. Those, the women in that video, holy moly, they're right. stunning. Yeah. Right.
1: And had yeah. bodies. Not curvy. No, but they had yeah. body, like a couple weeks ago, Alexis and I were talking about Kate Moss and that ad, was it Calvin Klein, Alexis? You know, Calvin Klein. Yeah. Yeah. And that whole movement and just how I mean, that was a big difference from the Cindy Crawford, Naomi Campbell to new looking at Cindy Crawford that she was obviously super thin, but she didn't look unhealthy. She still looked like a woman. She looked like healthy. Right. And then it obviously drastically shifted Mm -hmm. to. Yeah.
0: And then to Britney Spears. And then to Britney Spears.
2: (laughs) And then Britney. Yeah. Oh, God bless Eh. Britney.
1: (laughs) Did you find that experimenting with makeup and especially once you got comfortable, knew what you were doing, that it made you feel more confident when you went to school?
2: Yeah, that was definitely one of the reasons I first got into it anyway. And I always felt like, I feel like if you were to talk to anybody that I went to high school with, I did not show up to anything without makeup on. And I was known for that, actually, including sports, by the way, because we had a season. One season was mandatory, much to my dismay, but that is no excuse. Mm -mm. (laughs) I love it.
0: Oh, I wish I was like
2: that. I just could care less. I think that's a beautiful thing, Alexis. And I have to tell you, from over here, being like 180 degrees from that, when I have a lot of friends and clients express just what you did for me, that feels, gosh, that would be so liberating to not be so like tied to this. And I feel like that's one of the things I've really loved as I've gotten a little bit older. I'm clearly not a teenager anymore. That would, as a teenager, I felt like it was so necessary. It was almost like a trap. Like I had to do it. I had to look this way. I had to be this person. And now I'm trying to relax a little bit more into Lauren and I have gone on vacation together. Lauren, if it were like 20 years ago, you would never have seen me in the morning without makeup. I would have come down like Mrs. Maisel, (laughs) ready to roll. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's beautiful to not need it.
1: Several years into our friendship before I saw you without makeup, for sure.
2: This is such an interesting thing about beauty, because I feel like there are two sides to this. It can be incredibly liberating and help showcase exactly who you feel you are. And it can be incredibly vulnerable if you feel like you're less than without it. And I think what's tricky is, and I'm just going to speak for most of my clients are women. I'm going to speak for women in American society. It's a really challenging thing to balance those two pieces of it, the expectations and the vulnerability. And it's something that's really, I love to talk about that actually, because it's really interesting. And our industry, though, we deal in what could be construed as a more shallow sort of part of people's lives. It is so integral to their, a lot of their identities and the way they present themselves to the world. It's a big deal.
0: Can we talk about how eyebrows (laughs) frame the face? And then set you up because that's where my insecurities are and my self-worth are all tied up in my non-existent eyebrows that I have damaged throughout my lifetime. And Lauren, do you have any stories about going to town on your
1: eyebrows? Yeah. you fared better than I have, but. Oh my gosh, yes. Seventh grade. Seventh grade, my girlfriend, I don't know what, yeah, I don't know what prompted this. I don't know why we decided that we needed to start plucking our eyebrows, but we did with no guidance. This is before YouTube. This is before you weren't smart enough to, you know, find like a Cosmo or an Allure or Jane magazine or whatever, and see if there was a tutorial. And I've said to Alexis before, if I could tell high school Lauren, you know, what not to do, Mm -hmm. my number one thing would be leave your eyebrows alone. Don't touch them. Do not touch them. I don't even care about all my bad fashion choices. What I would say is leave your eyebrows alone. (laughs) To this day, I do not touch them. Unless it's, you know, like I have to pluck something like, but I, no, I do not touch them. I'm traumatized.
0: I don't have anything to pluck. I had to tattoo them. And now I'm getting white hairs. And I'm like, oh no, we need to get rid of you. And then I'm (laughs) sad because I need you. I just need you to not be white.
2: Eyebrows are a loaded thing for people. And a lot of people have, well, first of all, Lauren, why would you have gone and found a Cosmo magazine? Honestly, because I'm sure there was an urgency to getting those tweezers out in the moment of that you couldn't quite articulate. Because yeah. I remember <laughs> those feelings where it's like, oh no, this has to go right This now. has to be done immediately.
1: <laughs> These eyebrows have to, be, exactly. have to be attended to right this second. I wish I knew what prompted mm-hmm. this. It had to have been something we saw on TV or on MTV or something that made us decide, oh, it's time. I don't know.
0: She was like, Lauren, you have really nice eyebrows. I'm out to ruin them for the rest of your life.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But there was this moment, right? Where like less was more in terms of your eyebrows and the thinner, the better. And Mm -hmm. there was, it was what you did. You take that off. No one wants to see that for some reason. And I had the same sort of experience where I definitely tweezed them back a little too far up a little too high. It was a rough time. Mm -hmm. It took a while for them to come back in, but um, we must have seen something somewhere. And I think that just is like one of those, like the media surrounds you and you don't even know what you're picking up, especially when you're like 13. Yeah. That's
1: a big lesson when you're a teenager that you don't think about, or I remember not thinking about you look at these celebrities or you look at these magazines and it never occurs to you that if they, this woman on the magazine decides to overpluck her eyebrows, there's a procedure or somebody that's going to help her. That's going to, it's going to fix it. Just like when you're looking at these magazines as a teenager, you're not thinking, well, she definitely has a trainer and a chef and a nutritionist and possibly someone that just yells at her when she goes near the kitchen to get a cookie. Like there are all these people helping her achieve what we're looking at. And as a teenager, of course, you just don't think that. So all these tra- trends, like the eyebrows, we're like, oh, I'm going to jump on board this thin brow trend. It doesn't occur to you. It's going to take forever for them to recover your eyebrows. It's just takes so long.
0: Or never. Or never. <laughs> they may completely freak out like mine did and say we're
2: leaving you forever. You do not deserve us. <laughs> Yeah. It's happened to a lot of people, unfortunately. But you bring up something really interesting, Lauren, that I don't know if you guys want to discuss a little bit more, but you know, something that again we talk about in the store a fair amount is the advent of social media and proliferation of the internet. When we were growing up, you'd see like a Cosmo cover or a music video, and then you'd like run to your mirror and be like, I'm gonna do that, mm-hmm. which was not great. <laughs> but It was always aspirational thing where though I don't think we thought about it, these people were, you were never going to meet them. Most likely they were utterly abstract and aspirational. They're on a magazine cover. They're on the TV. They're not people that, you know, one of the things that a lot of my clients express about their older daughters now is that the people that they are emulating oftentimes There are people they know on social media that have done all of these things. They're friends, whatever they may be, the amount of girls, I guess, young women that are under 25 that are getting, for example, lip filler Mm -hmm. is astounding to me. These are people, you know, and then it's like, well, she looks that good. Or she did that thing. I wonder what that does because... For us, it's like, well, that's unrealistic because it's a magazine cover. But for them, it's like, I know her. So what does that do to the standard of the expectations and the pressure? That's something that I think a lot about actually in our industry. It's a good point. Can we talk about lip injections and injections in general? Yes, please. Okay. So we definitely have seen major increase in the number of clients that are at least maybe perhaps owning up to getting injectables which to me is great. You know what? If you want to do something, do it. Zero judgment. You do your thing. This is everybody's beauty journey is their own in every way. And I am never going to be judgmental about that. If you feel that a little Botox or filler is reflects a little bit more of who you feel like you are and or want to be, go for it. Do it. Where I have a little bit of conflict in the recent, what I perceive as the rise of injectables are the ages of the younger women that are pursuing them. And I'm, again, I'm just going to go with women because they're my clients. They're the ones I talk to. I'm sure gentlemen have these pressures too, and everybody in between, but Young women getting injectables under 25, as we all know, you're not really done. Everything's still developing. I don't know about both of you, but I definitely sort of settled into a more adult form in every way, kind of post-25. So what does that do when you've put filler in your lips or in your cheeks or one of the most recent trends that's problematic, removing the fat from under the cheekbone surgically? Which is really, I'm just gonna, yeah, it's intense. I was, I'm really just going to term that what I would call baby fat. Like when you're young, Mm -hmm. you've got a little more padding in the face, it's supposed to be there. And as you get older, that stuff starts to go away. So I don't know that you need to surgically remove it. I just think that life is long, hopefully. And if you start that so young, we really don't know how fillers age to that degree either. So, Right. It's kind of a loaded thing.
0: And they don't dissipate into the body,
2: correct? It's in an isolated place. It depends on the filler, actually. Okay. There are fillers that are designed, a lot of them anymore, they're perfectly safe and absolutely designed to dissolve either completely or partially over time. It's not a bad thing because if you don't like it, you know, you just let the hourglass run out and that's fine. But also then you have to go back to your surgeon. So it's sort of like a subscription, which is the business model. So that's yeah a big part of it. The other thing that I worry about with that, and again, what I think is an increase in people getting injections is while well, makeup seems to be More about highlighting who you want to be and not fitting into this one mold or one mode of what is considered beautiful. I'm a little concerned that we've just moved the what you should be over to the surgeon's office and like Mm -hmm. get that fixed permanently. And then the makeup's just fun. And I'm not sure that's any healthier at all.
1: I feel like when we were in our teens and 20s, what was talked about, not just amongst my peers, but what you would hear about or read about or assume from again, what you would see on magazines and on shows, it was more about women getting breast implants or nose jobs. But for teenagers and in your twenties, you never heard about Botox. Like it was never mentioned. You just never knew anybody that was ever worried about wrinkles on their face, especially young. And now the people I know in their twenties, nobody really cares about getting big boobs or having implants it's all about wrinkles. It's all about the face. It's all about lip injections. And even like eyelash extensions, the permanent one or the ones that, you know, that last for six weeks, it's all about that.
2: And I think that's interesting. That seems like a big shift. I would say that's a, it's a big shift. And I, I'm inclined to have it correlate, see the correlation with the rise of social media and everybody, everything being photographed and videoed all the time, because when we were coming of age, it was a special occasion. Someone got out the camera. I mean, it wasn't, (laughs) (laughs) right? (laughs) Not everyone had a camera in their hand. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I remember when my family, of course, it's like the family camera, got that first digital camera that could also unfold and take video. Very big deal. But that was like a special (laughs) event situation, right? Now it's everywhere all the time. And I think that's resulted in a lot of like younger people's anxiety with aging in general, because I don't know why, but it seems like the shelf life, quote unquote, of being young has gotten so short, so much shorter. I have clients that are 24 and they're like, now that I'm old, like not relevant, not. And I'm like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. I feel like you've got a long road, <laughs> kiddo. Oh <my> gosh. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems to be mounting.
0: Wow. I wanted to ask you, how do you keep
2: track of what's new in the beauty industry? So Yes. Trends are always changing. And it's this kind of funny blend for me with keeping track between keeping up with what's happening just in fashion, because the makeup that is on the runway is always a piece of it, but also (laughs) keeping up with what a lot of the influencers are doing. And at this point, what a lot of the brands, like the up and coming product launches, they are absolutely mirrors of a trend that is coming down the pike. And it's either... We could have, again, we could have a whole philosophical discussion on what is it, chicken or egg? Like, is it the trendy because they launched the product or is the trend coming so they launch the product? But either way, whatever you see coming out from the brands tends to be a forecast to a great degree because at this point, they are so tied in with influencers. If the influencer is saying it, it'll happen, but they're saying it because the brand told them to say it. There's a lot of this circular sort of, so just basically staying on top of social media, watching a couple of runway shows. I still love Allure and Vogue magazines. I think I love, I love holding a magazine. I do too.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: And the artistic choices that are made in those fashion spreads and in those advertisements, they will trickle down to sort of a version of every day, just like the clothes. Mm -hmm. When I was in
0: design school, I used to purchase these magazines that came out every season of every runway show oh wow mhm they were fantastic they were very expensive but it was something that you should have if you were a fashion student so you could see those trends forecasted for the seasons from milan and
2: paris that's so cool mm-hmm. i wish we had something like that it would be so interesting is there not for makeup you know I don't know that there's exactly sort of that, like the Bible of the season scenario that I think you're Mm -hmm. describing for me, at least it feels like I have to go to 10 different sources to pull together a picture of what's actually going on because everything's so decentralized omni-channel, if you will. (laughs) I'm surprised there isn't like a go-to source It just depends on the brand you're looking at and or the, because everybody kind of has a mission and at the end of the day, it is pretty sales driven. Unfortunately, there is an art to it, but we don't see as much of that. I would say in our industry of late, maybe that'll go back. I hope it does. The artistry of it is really, you know, sort of where my heart is.
1: What changes with some of the beauty brands? Have you noticed? I don't know, maybe in like last five to 10 years with social media, you know, taking off and as being as prevalent as a source as it has been. Have you seen shifts in how they market their products, how they make their products, the choices?
2: Yeah, definitely. I've seen, first of all, the turnaround or the life cycle of a product seems to have gotten extremely short. So from launch to discontinued is a really short window, maybe the space, a space of two years which when you're talking about a foundation product or something that tends to be a little bit more of a permanent repeat purchase for a client is tricky and problematic. So products collections used to come out. Yes, there'd be like a seasonal pop of a trend and you knew those colors were limited. I'm sure you both remember like shopping limited colors, but then you can always count on the base of a line staying around, staying available. In your shades or what have you, maybe they would rename colors, maybe they would switch up a formula, but it would take years. We're seeing a lot shorter life cycle of products in general in our industry. That's a major shift. And again, I, I credit social media with that. I don't know if credit's the word. Credit seems kind of positive. I'm not sure it's positive, but <laughs> it's definitely social media related. And I read a statistic once and it granted this statistic is probably like four years old. So I'm not sure if it's still true, but it was fascinating. But the statistic was that whenever a product launches, whether it's a new product or a new shade, a brand sees an average of a 30% spike in sales overall. And then, so what has started to happen is we're seeing brands, launch, discontinue, launch, discontinue. And they're chasing, I think, what's the spike in sales. It'll be temporary new brand awareness. And then it does this peak and it dies down and then they launch and it peaks and then it dies down. And that's why nothing sticks around.
0: Well, that makes sense because we don't have the attention span for it anymore either. And if it's not financially feasible, the company needs to get rid of it and relaunch.
2: That's right. That's exactly right. And I have a lot of customers really upset with the order life cycle of a product because they yeah. are wedded to their foundation or concealer or their brow pencil. It's a, that Those are all kind of big deal products and yes. they just don't <laughs> stick around the way they used to.
1: No, it's super annoying. Every time I find a lip color I love, I need to start buying like six of them because I swear as soon as I find one I love, it's gone. So clean beauty seems to be a big trend and has been for the past couple of years, which is great. Let's start with makeup. Do you find that clean beauty makeup brands work as effectively as the ones that aren't claiming
2: to be clean? So clean beauty makeup brands have come a long way, thankfully. If it were like five years ago, I would have said absolutely not. They just don't perform as well as a makeup artist when I work with a client, which is typically... We do a lot of everyday consultations, but when I'm doing a special occasion makeup, it's usually for a special event, as the name of the service would imply, or a bride. And up until recently, I would not have gone to a natural makeup brand for those products because they just wouldn't hold up on the skin.
0: So what is clean beauty?
2: Yeah, clean beauty is our beauty products that are free from the big, top, toxic Sort of chemicals thing from parabens, although parabens are and are not toxic. We could go in; we could have a dissertation about that, but we don't have to. <laughs> um, but typically, it's parabens, phthalates, just general chemicals that whatever we put on our skin can be generally absorbed into our systems. In the past, there have been traces of lead and so on in makeup products. Really, to my knowledge, something that's been cracked down on. So I don't think you we have to worry as much about that anymore. But more recently, clean beauty brands are developing products that perform and are healthy. That's, I think, because the customer demands it. If it doesn't work, what are we doing? Even bothering with it. One of the brands that we brought on board because of their commitment to clean is Jane Iredale, which you may be familiar with as a mineral-based makeup line. That's where they began. But their commitment to clean beauty and beauty that is but performs really the skincare is very impressive. And they continue, though it might be frustrating sometimes for staff and clients, they continue to develop and evolve. If they can make a product better, they'll take it away and make it better. And it comes out better. So that's been something that's been really neat to watch evolve and to really watch a company walk the walk, which doesn't always happen. I know you've probably both seen all those articles on quote unquote greenwashing. Big problem in the beauty industry to make claims that are not supported because we really have very little industry regulation that way. You can make a claim with almost anything. That's crazy. It's one of the reasons that finding product lines that are sourced and created in Europe is a really great idea if you're worried about this kind of thing because Europe has generally much more stringent standards than we do as far as what you can put in a beauty product and what claims you can make on the packaging. Do you have any European products in your store? Yes, we do. We've got, I mean, obviously, France is still a major provider of all Mm -hmm. things beauty. So we have French products. We have a beautiful skincare line called Natura Bisse out of Spain. And yeah, we've had a lot of products in the past.
0: And that's what you use, right, for your... Absolutely beautiful skin,
2: if I remember I, correctly. I love <laughs> I I'm an a, tour of a say girl. I I am addicted. Yeah. I love it. I generally their products they would work for my skin. That's a big part of the puzzle as a customer figuring out what works for you and your unique chemistry. But also too, I know that they are developed again with those European standards in mind. I also know that they are committed to developing what are amount to clinically effective products. So the concentration of active ingredients is high. They were a spa brand first. They're results driven. Those are all kind of the things I look for. I also love SkinCeuticals, especially for vitamin C and those things. So vitamin C from SkinCeuticals, Natura Bisse for lots of other things and both great brands. Love them. Is it possible for
1: a clean skincare line to help with anti-aging?
2: Yes, absolutely. What you're going to want to look for are ingredients, natural ingredients that we know support cell turnover and support skin health. And when you're looking for something like that, it becomes a lot more research intensive, especially because of the lack of regulations. Basically, those claims on the package may or may not be true. But when you look at an ingredient list, after doing a little research, you'll be able to pick out a few things that are really effective. Just a few call outs. If you're interested, rosehip seed oil is a really great thing for skin. It helps preserve the lipid barrier. It's really moisturizing without clogging pores. Raspberry seed extract actually helps with sun damage and can help even skin tone. So there are things you can look for on labels that you know will perform. It's not just like a nice bouquet concoction of smell good things.
0: Nothing at you smells good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the beauty industry itself is obviously a luxury business. It's a luxury to be able to afford skincare and makeup, to have the time to invest in yourself and your skin. And a lot of it comes with a decent price tag. Notorbice, for example, I use those products as well, not all of them, but some of them, and they're expensive. I do love them and they work for me. But what do you think about that? Are there brands out there that are less expensive that you think are great? Do you think there's a correlation between a price tag and a product?
2: The short answer to that is yes, there's definitely a correlation between price tag and product. It is often ingredient driven, but it doesn't have to be. It can also be process driven. So the development of that product may have taken a Long time may have involved a great expense in terms of time, scientist time, lab space, all of that. Not always. So I think we probably have all had an unfortunate experience with a pricey product that did not perform the way that we had hoped. So that definitely also happens. This is not necessarily a cause and effect, right? For example, I know in Natura Vise's case, part of the price tag thing is that they are. They have their own labs and develop their own products. They are top to bottom, which also helps me put my faith in them a little bit more thoroughly. But also to pick up the back of that bottle and look at the ingredient list and Google the first three to five ingredients. That makes up the bulk of your product. That is what you're putting on your skin. And don't be surprised if the first ingredient or second ingredient water. A lot of the products we use need water to perform. Oil-based products can be an exception, so if that's appealing to you, have a look. And don't be afraid either if there's something that has the word alcohol in it. That doesn't necessarily mean it's rubbing alcohol. It doesn't mean it's bad. It can just be a stabilizing agent so the formula actually survives in the bottle and performs. Just take a look. Take a look at the back of the bottle. They make a lot of good stuff out there that's not hundreds of dollars certainly.
0: What about a hyaluronic acid? Ooh, hyaluronic
2: acid. My favorite hyaluronic acid is probably unsurprisingly SkinCeuticals Hydrating B5 Gel. I love that thing. Hyaluronic acid is cool because it performs over the course of the day. So you put it on your skin, say, in the morning. Yeah. And it, over time, pulls in moisture from either the layer you put on top of it or the atmosphere into your skin. And we actually, we all make an amount of hyaluronic acid naturally as well and not to turn this into an infomercial, but you can also use the HA intensifier, hyaluronic acid intensifier from SkinCeuticals. That's not only at that topical shot for hydration, but it helps your skin make more hyaluronic acid internally, which is really key to that moisture being healthy balance.
0: What time are you going to be at work? I'll be by shortly for that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, come by anytime. (laughs) They're awesome (laughs) products. I love, I really love that. And that's part of the reason like we have a pretty serious vetting process with the products that we bring into the store, mm-hmm. not only because we're a small business, but because we're also customers, we are anchored in a small community. We are accountable to our clients in a way that a lot of larger stores are not. And it's just important for us to be able to stand behind them. So I think that's skin SkinCeuticals. They walk the walk, man. They do it. Do
0: your top three sellers for skincare and
2: beauty. So the... Top-selling moisturizer in our store is the Natura Bisset Diamond Extreme Rich Cream. It is a very shea butter-rich moisturizer with an anti-aging peptide blend that absolutely performs on the surface of the skin and helps to deeply hydrate. HA Intensifier is another really big seller from SkinCeuticals, the one I was just discussing. And then vitamin C, terribly important. Absolutely. If there's like all ages. When I have my teenage clients come in, start young. One thing you can do is start with a topical vitamin C to help prevent and correct sun damage. CE Ferulic, also from SkinCeuticals, rockstar product. And you only need that one once a day. I use that. I like it. It works. I love that product. Mm -hmm. Makeup on? <laughs> you do not need it over. Oh <laughs> I have none of these products. <laughs> that's okay. Well, you know, but something that we something yeah. that we do that's really important to us is we very much do- like consult with customers on a case by case basis. So like Mm -hmm. Alexis, if you were to come in, Oh, I'm coming, come Mm -hmm. in, come in, come play with us. First of all, it's a lot of fun and we love what we do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, come come play with us. The first thing I would ask you, Alexis, is tell me a little bit about your routine now, because the answer to that question is going to tell me where you've been, what Mm -hmm. you've sought out, And it's also going to tell me what you've decided is a worthy investment for you in the past. The next question I'm going to ask you is, are you happy with those products? If you found something that works for you, we do not take it away from you. You absolutely keep it, keep using it. If you love it, there's a reason you love it. Even if you can't quite articulate why, even if it's just like, that smells so good. I look forward to that all day. I just want to put that on. That's great. And then afterwards, I would ask you, what are your goals? what are you looking for on your skincare journey? What do you want to improve? Do you have things you want to correct? Is there something you're looking to preserve? What are we talking about when you come in and ask for skincare? Because those are all very different goals. And frankly, there are different product answers for those questions. People are so lucky to have you. Oh, thank (laughs) you. That's so kind. (laughs) <laughs> we really, we need to connect. It's, it's so case by case, right? And that mm-hmm. makes it a challenge, but it's really important to listen to your client and tease out, why did she walk in today? Right. What are we looking for when we're looking for a beauty product? That's really the big question we're looking to answer. Because
1: sometimes a new lip color can really make your day. Mm-hmm.
2: No, it really can.
1: We
0: switch gears a little bit and talk about being in your chair as a client coming in, If somebody is really self-conscious and they're sitting in your chair and you're trying to make them feel comfortable, what is the most common thing that a woman will say to you?
2: A lot of people come in and apologize for not having makeup on already. Really? Yep. That is number one. They come in and they're like, I'm sorry, don't look at me today that is not why you're here. When someone walks in the door, I'm never thinking, oh my gosh, why doesn't she have, why isn't she dressed to the nines? Why doesn't she have makeup on? But I think in a beauty space, a space designated for beauty, it's very common for women to walk in feeling like they don't measure up and they need to acknowledge that from the gate. It's a kind of a profound thing, actually, because Basically a lot of clients walk in apologizing for themselves and they do not need to, they're absolutely valid exactly the way they are. Mm -hmm. The other common apology kind of in a vain apology thing I get, or I think something that a lot of women feel the need to acknowledge like, Oh, I know already is well, I'm old. So they go right, right there. They're like, well, I'm old, so I I can't do this or I need this or I should be, the shoulds are a big Mm -hmm. one. I know I should be wearing more makeup because I'm old now. I know I should be. And by the way, I don't really believe in old. Do you know what I mean? Like what what is old? Hopefully we all have long, healthy, happy and full lives. If you've seen some time go by, you're no less valid. You know? You're only more wise. mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That nightmare that was Lizzie in her 20s. Thank God that's gone.
0: <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you say to those clients when they're sitting there picking themselves apart and showing you their insecurities? And it's your job to make them feel whole in that moment and to make them feel beautiful. And when they walk out
2: of your store, to feel
0: transformed.
2: Usually, what I first say, especially with the I'm old thing. I'll be like, you're not old. And what I mean is what I just said about. I really don't think there is a, there's no expiration date, you know, on mm-hmm. feeling good and feeling beautiful. And then I tried to tease out again. Why did she come in today? What drove her into our boutique I'm so glad she's there. I'm glad she feels comfortable and safe enough to sit with us and be vulnerable because beauty is a very vulnerable space. I'll often say, so she might say, I'm looking for a new foundation. I will first say, let's talk about your skincare routine. Let's build from the ground up. And when we do that, we dive into perhaps she's looking for a foundation because she wants to cover up larger pores or fine lines or something like that. That's more of a skincare question than it is a makeup question. But then I'm also aware as the person working with her, this is what she sees because I I might not see any of that. I've had clients come in and talk about their large pores recently, and it is not something that I even saw. And I'm right there working with them on their skin. But we all see, we all have different things that we see when we look in the mirror, And things that bother us, things that we like, things we want to emphasize. And I try to get to the bottom of those and help her feel like you are here kind of for an accent mark. You're not here for an overhaul. You don't need it. No, I like that too. It's nice. It's important, you know, and I, Mm -hmm. I really, I really wish this is such a hard thing, but I like, it goes back to the conversation we had about the like 20 somethings feeling like they're old for some reason. Right. I wish like women, especially again, because they're my clients, would stop apologizing for the passage of time. That is not your fault. Like the the time went by and you're not 25 and it's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. It's a big one.
0: Yeah, it is a big one. How do you handle a difficult, hard to please customer? And when I pose this question... I'm thinking about myself. I am a difficult, hard to please customer because I know exactly what I want. I have an idea in my head and and I'm counting on someone else to execute it. You've done my makeup once for a magazine shoot and you did a phenomenal job. But when I walked in and sat in your chair, I'm pretty sure I apologized for a hairy face. And you made me feel calm, safe and beautiful. I did not want to wash my face
2: that night. Thank you. That's so lovely. I'm so glad you felt that way. That's really one of the things that we really strive to do is create again, when our client looks in the mirror, what she wants to see and mm-hmm. the face that she wants to present to the rest of the world. And obviously a photo shoot is a big, that's like the moment for all of that, so I'm right. so glad. I'm so glad that you felt that way, and that we could help you. Hopefully, feel like you could let yourself shine in the way that you deserve. That's really what it's about.
0: Mm-hmm. So, can you tell us any stories of difficult clients? Because. I mean, it could have really gone either way with me that day, honestly, but
2: I would never have thought of, I would never have thought of you as a difficult client at all. <laughs> well, you made me feel so good
0: that I was like, ah, oh, I don't have to be anything. I can just surrender to this moment. And I knew that I was in very capable, very good hands.
2: And I have had a my fair share of more challenging clients and Mm -hmm. customers. Usually it's pretty easy as a makeup artist and or sales associate to pick up on the fact that person does not have confidence in you. So it's, you know, right. What does that look like? How do you know that? It's a feeling. First of Mm -hmm. all, usually the customer comes in and they feel the need to be very, very, very specific. Tell you in Uh great detail what they do not like.
1: So Uh that you don't—that's
2: okay. But this is all—it's all useful information. Like I don't take this personally. Usually, this comes from a place of maybe poor service in the past. Hopefully, not from us. Yeah, and yeah, and maybe being sold or connected with the wrong products or artists. A lot of people—they, a lot of people have haircut horror stories. A lot of my clients come in and they have other stories of makeup horror stories. It just. It's a thing for a second, because I have a
1: horrible makeup story and I don't even mind throwing them under the bus, but I went to Mac makeup oh. <laughs> once and it was horrible. They put blue eyeshadow literally all the way up to my eyebrows. I will look for a photo and also share that on social media. But so I can understand why, if that was your only or first let's go get our makeup done situation. And that's what happens. And then, and then you come into your store. I probably would have also been someone that's like, I don't like blue. I don't like blue anything. I don't want any blue eyeshadow. I'm traumatized (laughs) from the blue Want something that looks subtle because I also had a makeup trial where I left the store being like the, cause the artist just was too, it was way too intense. It was way too much. It did not look like me. I walked into the office that day and our current secretary just started laughing it was and asked me what i did with what I, she said what did you do to my face i mean so i mean i can understand and you were
2: like don't i look great yeah. they told me i looked great i bought it <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people come in with a traumatic makeup backstory. It happens. Also, that MAC blue eyeshadow situation, probably very much a time and a place, I would imagine. Smoky blue. Yeah. Like, you know, aggressive choice, I would say.
1: When I tell you it was so hard to get off. It was so hard to get off. Like, Oh yeah. I mean, I, my roommates in college can attest. I was in the bathroom, like scrubbing, scrubbing. It was, I don't know what she put on my face, but it was impossible.
2: <laughs> I will say on Mac's behalf, the quality and density of their pigments are great. <laughs> <laughs> that is artistry with a capital A, mm-hmm. but it's like, um, you know, you know how to use it. It's tough to stiff to remove. Yeah. So, you know, when a client comes in and has a sort of a traumatic backstory, it's pretty easy to just feel that in mm-hmm. her speech and the way that she's addressing you. It's not, i am never offended. It's not personal. My usual thought process is Okay. So I'm going to figure out if you haven't told me already exactly what you don't want And then Mm -hmm. I'm going to mirror that back to you with an idea of what you might want. So Lauren walks in and she says, not blue, not blue. I hate blue, not blue. And I say, all right. So I'm thinking that based on your skin tone today, we're going to start with more of a neutral palette. And I'm going to pull out like three different shades of beige. And we're going to start there. And if you're like too brown, too yellow, too pink, we will narrow that down also If you walk in with, to your artist with a couple of photos of makeup, you do, that's tremendously helpful. We're all pretty visual people as artists. Mm -hmm. So you could also go the route of show them what you want rather than tell them what you want. That's okay. But yeah, that's how I really work hard to kindly disarm a customer that comes in sort of guns blazing. And that with that, because also too, if she doesn't think I've heard her, there's no chance for us to get an interaction off the ground where she's gonna leave pleased with something. That's really important.
0: Can I just say, I think that's a testament to you knowing yourself, that you check your ego as an artist and you put the customer
2: first. Oh, thank you. Is that a rare thing in the beauty space? It's funny. I would have said no, but I think the more I kind of out there, I think it can be a little bit rare. And that's not to say that really prominent and well-known artists are incapable of this. Obviously, they've built successful businesses and they are quite talented. I had a newer employee more recently ask me how like how do you do this? She's fascinated by the whole makeup process. Mm -hmm. Though I might be technically creating the piece of art in the face that I am painting for whatever occasion that person is looking for, it's commissioned art. It's not what I want. It's what she wants. It's what she wants to see. And it's not about my ego. It's not about how good I am or whatever. I hope I can be a really good artist and help her feel confident and incredible. And that that's what kept me in the industry, honestly, like seeing the customer light up and right. feel absolutely like you felt for your photo shoot, Alexis, there's no higher compliment To me, I love that. I love that you felt like, all right, here I am. Let's do this. That's great. I need a reason to come back and sit in your chair. You don't need a reason. Let's just do it. (laughs) Okay, we can do it. Why not? You know, that's something Mm -hmm. else. Sometimes I have customers come in just for the heck of it, and we do. She's, I'm going out for dinner with a girlfriend, but I just don't feel like doing my makeup today. Fine, great. Let's do it. This doesn't have to be some huge occasion. If you just want to, it's like a blowout.
0: Good point. It's like a new piece of jewelry too. It's an accent, as you said earlier, right? It's a punctuation. Exactly. I like that. The last question I really want to ask you about being in your chair and you as an artist is about your boundaries. Has there ever been a time where you felt like your boundaries with a client have been pushed? And is there a time where you felt like you went over the boundary yourself and you've made a mistake with an
2: interaction? with the client? Those are great and very deep questions. There are definitely different times in my life as an artist that I have had someone in the chair and I felt like my boundaries have been breached. It's tricky when that happens because I would imagine the way I would feel hosting like a cocktail party. When someone comes into our store, I feel very much like a hostess They're in my space to be entertained and taken care of. When they breach my boundary, it's my job to redirect the conversation and change the subject in a conversational pirouette of a way that they don't realize that anything has transpired whatsoever, because I never want, I can't draw a hard stop with my clients, basically, when that happens without having them feel like they did something wrong or potentially making them uncomfortable. And that is absolutely like, for me, that's unacceptable. I am not in a position to do that. So really what I have been in that position, my boundaries have fluctuated just depending on who the client is. I have some clients that are a lot closer to being friends than they are simply clients. And obviously the boundaries vary. I'm also pretty much an open book. Like I'm very cognizant of my place in a smaller community on stage, front of house, if you will, all the time. I value treasure that and very much respect that and respect them for coming in. So yes, there are boundaries. I'm like struggling to even tell you where they are because like, if you want to know something, I'll tell you like, it's not a big deal, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, But on the flip side, like you were asking about mistakes. Yeah. Mistakes. I know this has happened. I'm very good at blocking out times when I've been sort of uncomfortable or embarrassed. So I'm really Mm -hmm. struggling to come up with a time when I was a teenager. This was a bad one. When I was a teenager, a woman came in and she was talking about changing her name. And I made the assumption that she was getting married. Oh no, she was getting divorced. And that was oh, a very, oops. oh yeah. I was like 16 and probably 17 shades of bright red and purple. I had just, I don't know. I was just talking and she, it was mm-hmm. a, not a, not a good situation. And yeah, I won't forget that one. I'm like, yep. Yeah, noted. That's not, you just don't know what's going on for people. So don't assume. <laughs> There's a lot of landmines you have to avoid. Yeah. Just stick to safer subjects. Let the customer steer you. She'll tell you what she's comfortable talking about. She'll go there if she wants to. I could talk to you all day
0: because I just love your energy and your kindness and can't wait to
1: come and get my makeup done. Okay, Lizzie, are you ready?
2: I don't know. Will I ever be ready? Go ahead,
1: Lauren. (laughs) Tell the truth. How many steps are in your skincare routine in the morning and at night? Ooh.
2: Because they, as you, there are two different routines. She's trembling. She's (laughs) trembling. Hold tight. I'm like, what day is it? What do I want to do? Um. So the one thing I skip is toner. I'm just going to be very forthcoming about that. I don't like toner. I just am like one more thing. It feels like water, and I am a customer too. And the customer voice in my head is, "Is that even working? No, not doing it." So I do in the morning cleanse, vitamin C. I do one of the Torbosay serums and then I do eye cream and then I do moisturizer. Lauren, his fingers up. Six. Five. Yeah. Six? Five, five or six. It depends. Sometimes I layer two serums if I'm feeling dry. Whoa. Yeah, it just depends. And at night to talk about double cleansing, I double cleanse every do night. Too. Yep. It's, I cannot get my skin totally clean, get all the makeup off without a two-step cleanse. So my nighttime routine is cleanse, cleanse, and then some kind of a serum depends on the evening or how my skin's doing. Moisturizer, an eye cream, usually an eye treatment with retinol in it these days. And then I also use the Grande Lash, Lash Growing Serum and the Antioxidant Lip Repair from SkinCeuticals. So seven, seven at night. Holy shit. That's why you look so good. That's well, just that's skincare. Very nice of you. On Sundays, I on Sundays I do a glycolic peel followed by a mask. I try to do it every Sunday. What happens if you're traveling? I have actually brought the glycolic peel with me. <laughs> yes. Oh my. Yeah. Lauren, seen me do this. I'll whip out a mask.
1: Her face has actually weighed too much going on a flight because of the beauty products, and she had to take a bunch out and was not happy about it. Yes,
2: true story. I was there. Oh. And you just throw them out. Right? Uh, Yeah. yeah, So, so, oh, yeah. It was an international flight. We were in Heathrow, I think. Where were your samples? You know, I was younger and dumber then. Um, Mm. (laughs) Expensive mistake. Yeah. It was an expensive mistake. I am usually a very patient and kind person. This really pushed my buttons. And I actually, I don't know, Lauren, if you remember, I refused to put the products in the trash can. I left them. (laughs) Yeah. I left them on the woman's counter and I turned around and I said, I hope you enjoy those. They're great products. And Mm -hmm. I walked away. (laughs) And she's like, oh, I will. I, she looked at me like I was insane. And I'm sure in the moment, I really seemed like I was nuts. It was just very upsetting. But you, you live, you learn. It was full-size, full-size, brand-new Diamond
1: mm-hmm. Extreme Mist, I remember was one of the products, which smells amazing. Oh, my heart rate. It breaks. like sets your makeup and hydrates you. It it really is lovely. And yeah, Lizzie just turned around and just like slammed the spot on the counter. I was like... Yeah. Enjoy that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) And she probably was like, I don't know who you are. I'm throwing these gross products away. What are you talking about? And in my head, I'm like, you should just use those because I'm not gross. And those are beautiful
0: products. I think she saw you coming from a mile away. She's like, (laughs) what's in her Mm -hmm. bag?
2: That's happened to some of my clients. They've had full sizes confiscated that were not over the limit in any regard. I think some people know what they are. Yeah. Mm. Just depends. All right. Favorite lip color. Ooh. Okay. That's tricky because my favorite lip color was discontinued. (laughs) 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 Of course. But I think my new favorite one, I'm a lip gloss girl. I'm not huge into lipsticks. Generally speaking, I really love Laura Mercier's new lip gloss formulation. It's newer in the last like year or so. And I love the color cherry blossom and I love sugar plum. Those are my two favorite colors.
1: Do you really put on sunscreen every single day, even in the winter? No, I did not. <laughs> no, nope.
2: this is where, no, this is where I'm very, I don't follow my own rules at all. For many years, I wore a mineral powder foundation and there is some light duty SPF benefit to that. I just happen to be back in that lately because I have, I had some, but yeah, I, I don't do that all the time. I do not. Mm-hmm. How much water do you drink? Okay. New habit. I have embarked on drinking a bottle. I have embarked on drinking this bottle. That's so, a fancy bottle. It's from Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> it's like frosted glass. It's beautiful. It's plastic. Oh, really? Yes. It's nice. You fill it up twice a day. And I like it. It's about 64 ounces total. Mm-hmm. And I like it because it has the times on it. Like when you're supposed to, yeah. So it's a good reminder. I'll actually look at it and be right now, I'm behind. Should be drinking more water this morning. I've been really trying to do that. Historically, I was not very good at drinking water, but I really notice anymore. I get really tired in the afternoon if I'm dehydrated. And I also, like, that's when I go for a cookie or something and I'm really just thirsty.
0: We have cookies in common. I love
2: cookies. Mm -hmm. Cookies are the best. Me too. What kind of cookies?
0: (laughs) Oatmeal raisin are my favorite? No, no. You can't. That's horrible.
2: No. They're only chocolate chip cookies. I feel like I knew that about you. <laughs> 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 and you know what? Yeah, oatmeal raisin is what I will always reach for. It's the thing I can't Ugh. say no to.
1: Mm. Mhm. Do you have a complete breakdown when you get a pimple? True or false?
2: Where is this pimple located? <laughs>
0: On the tip of your nose no.
2: um, forehead. <laughs> yeah, my, mild meltdown. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, I got bangs, so that's better now. but <laughs> was that because of the incident? No. <laughs> but I um, yes, I it's true. I can have a meltdown when I get a pimple because usually when I get one, it's not small. It's like one of those like cystic under the skin scenarios that take a while. I also can't leave it alone, which is really a shame. So, Mm -hmm. yeah,
0: true. But what would you tell a client that came in and they were suffering from this same issue? I would tell them to not touch it. Don't
2: touch your face. (laughs) And I would, don't touch your face. face. And I would tell them to Mm -hmm. put a clay mask on it, put like a dot of clay mask on it and sleep in that clay mask overnight, just the spot, not your whole face. And in the morning, put a stringent sort of serum on it and give it time. I would also tell them to red light, the red light therapy. And Mm -hmm. if they can come in and do the blue light, blue light actually really gets rid of the breakout causing bacteria on Mm -hmm. the skin. So it can calm breakouts that are existing. It can also prevent breakouts future breakouts. And it's pretty amazing how quickly it can help heal. If you've got a blemish, I'm really trying to get better about that and go in our spa room and blue light a pimple when I feel it coming on versus just trying to dig it out myself.
1: What's the one makeup product that you never leave home without? Mascara. What brand?
2: Ooh, it depends, but I'm very picky. So I like Laura Mercier Caviar Mascara. I love the Grande Lash Peptide Mascara, I think it's called. It's their original one, not like a super like buff wand or anything, just like a low-key mascara wand. And I actually really like the CoverGirl Great Lash. Those are my three. I like
0: L'Oreal Volum... How do you say that? Oh, Voluminous. The vo- Voluminous. Yes. L'Oreal Voluminous.
2: Yes, mascara is
1: such a personal thing. What do you use, Lauren? Yeah. I think mine's CoverGirl right now. You switch? I do switch (laughs) because I, to be honest, I haven't found one that I'm in love with. So I'm still on on the hunt. It's it's a journey.
0: It is a journey. And then when you find one you really love, you do not buy multiples of that because it goes bad. Mm -hmm. And then you go to the store and you purchase it and you realize this mascara has been sitting here for five months and it's (laughs) expired. That's happened to me a lot. Or I don't use it enough. I never use it. That's something I have to do. My daughter wears mascara all the time now and I think,
2: whose child
0: are you? <laughs> I need
2: I need your habits. You could do whatever you want to do, Alexis. If you want to wear mascara, do it. You don't need it. It's whatever you want. Oh, I actually do need mascara. Do you need it?
0: <laughs> I, yeah, I do. And I need the eyelash curler too, which I love. Do you oh, use yeah. that?
2: I am lazy. So no, on a daily basis, I do not curl my eyelashes. Doesn't it make a difference though? It does. It makes a difference. As I'm saying that out loud, it's like most things that I'm lazy with. I actually end up taking longer. (laughs) I would just curl my lashes, but then I I just sit there with the wand over and over and over until it actually gets the lash stand up. So you're obsessive is what you're Uh telling us. Oh yeah, (laughs) very much. (laughs) Knowing smile from Lauren. (laughs)
1: I've never been able to (laughs) do the lash curler. I've tried it before. I do not own one, but I've tried it and I could not. Yeah, I couldn't figure it out.
2: Oh, it's so good. You need it. It's a game changer. Did it freak you out getting too close to your eye? I understand. I mean, that's kind of a lot. Lash lifts are trendy now. What? Lash lifts, like a perm for your lashes. You go into a salon. They uh, like put a little. Oh yeah. I've had that done once. And then like apply like a chemical to your eyelashes and it. It burns your eye. Mm -hmm. It can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it keeps your lashes curled for a while, though. Very popular. And then then you go blind. I hope it's so worth it. Yes, you never know. But you're so pretty. (laughs) You're so pretty. Look at your eyelashes.
0: (laughs) That'll be the future mistake, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) So when we have guests on, even though you are our first guest, which this was so fun to have you on. We have questions that we're gonna ask. I wanna know what you're binging, what you're reading, what you're researching.
2: Oh gosh, okay. What am I binging currently? I am binging Criminal Minds on Hulu. Mm -hmm. I love, I love that show. (laughs) Lauren's not surprised. I love that show. I finished, I finished The Crown finally. And I, like The Criminal Minds was only ever available on Netflix up to season like 10 or something there are more. And I knew there were more. And recently on Hulu, something popped up and was like, don't you want to watch this, Lizzie? And I'm like, yes, (laughs) I didn't know it was available. (laughs) So that's what's usually running in the background for me right now anyway. And it very much varies. Outlander will be back later this year. And Lauren knows that's Mm -hmm. a thing. Yep. And then what I'm reading right now, I've been terrible about reading lately, which is something I really want to work on. I just... Every time I, I really want to relax and wind down for the evening, like in bed with a book, I've just been skipping the book and falling asleep. What was the last good book that you read? Oh, that one over the summer. Oh my gosh. The seven husbands or yeah. One, yeah. What was that book called? I'm sorry. Of Evelyn Help Hugo. I'll the say s- the title.
1: The six husbands of, Eve- of Evelyn Hugo. Is that it?
2: six or seven yeah the seven six or seven husbands of evelyn hugo i adored that book i blew through it in like two and a half days just not doing anything else or talking to anyone it was (laughs) outstanding it was fascinating i loved it and what are you researching what am i researching Well, actually right now I'm researching a lot about varying skincare ingredients and like what they do because we are, my business partner and I are working on launching a couple of in-house lines for the store later this year. So in that vein of how important it is to us to really kind of walk the walk and have our, the claims, any claims we put on cosmetic packaging, absolutely be supported by the product. We are really researching in pretty much all of our spare time to find ingredients, labs, all that kind of stuff that can formulate for us exactly the effective, clean product that we're looking to launch. So that's a labor of love at this moment. It's awesome. Very exciting. I'm very excited. This will be really fun. Are
0: you listening to anything? Is like background noise in the store or in your downtime? I love a
2: good podcast. And I this is not solicited, everybody. I've been listening to your podcast <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and I'm really enjoying it. I also love Noble Blood. This is one of my favorite. I love history. I'm a history buff. Okay. Noble Blood is... True stories about all kinds of nobility from history. And it's a wild ride. Some of these oh. people, their lives and their decisions. Wow. I might like that. It's really well done. A couple mm-hmm. of seasons now, noble blood, really good. And then I also like when it's on, we're at a break right now, but Haunted Road mm-hmm. With Amy uh-huh. Bruni, she was on. Oh. She she had a show called Kindred Spirits. She has seen apparitions and things, and she oh, talks that might about, be trouble for me. <laughs> it's oh, it's I, listen. I will tell you. So it is my go to when it's like available, like when it's new season mm-hmm. for cleaning the house. But there have been a couple of afternoons where it's dark and overcast, and like the lights off in the hallway, where I'm like, I think I gotta press pause. Like <laughs> you yeah. start seeing stuff that's not there, but it's. Really maybe well done. It is there, or maybe it is there. Yes, but she's <laughs> got it's a got a historic bend, and she talks about a lot of these sort of famed and storied old buildings and destinations, and that she's filmed in, and what's what she's happened or what she's what's happened to her when she's been there. So oh, I love that. That's pretty cool too. What is your latest
0: luxury for your soul?
2: Ooh, luxury for my soul. My first thing that comes to my mind is actually just listening to a podcast every morning while I get ready for work, which has become my new ritual mm-hmm. because I really look forward to it every day. I love that like as soon as I like start to get ready, I pop my headphones in, I pick an episode of something, and usually it's something that I'm just really interested in. It's not work related. It's not something I should know, nothing like right. that. And just kind of like owning and embracing. How much of a history nerd I am. Like, (laughs) let's do this. That's great. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. It's nice to have routines like that.
2: Yeah, I like that. It's really, it feels like a little bit of a breather and a break and something I'm doing for myself. It doesn't really have an impact on any other areas of my life or anything. It's just fun and it's for me.
0: It is a luxury for your soul to go back and learn
1: about our soul's history.
2: Yeah. I agree. I think it's collectively and it's fascinating.
1: Let's end the episode with a final question. What does it mean to you to have a well-lived life?
2: Oh, then that's a really big question. I think a well-lived life to me means being able to spend time with people that I love and care about and being able to be of service and helpful to others. That's a really important thing to me. Now, I notice, especially as I've gotten a little bit older, I'm never as fulfilled or as at peace as when I'm in the service of others. And that very much feeds into why I find my job and my career choice so fulfilling. It really is an ability to help people. And what I hope for them is a really lovely and profound way. And being what I hope is like part of the quote unquote solution, being part of the good that's out there. It's a well-lived life. Leave it better than you found it.
1: Mm, It's very true. It's a good note to end on. Thank you. We hope
0: you enjoyed this episode and have inspired a few new luxuries for your soul. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review. We will see you in the next episode.